This morning we return to our studies out of the Gospel of Luke, and we're still in the 12th chapter. Luke chapter 12. Before we look at some of the words given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ, let us again pray and ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we might understand these words that he has preserved down through the centuries. Let us pray together. Our Lord, we believe your word. And you said that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And so here we are, Lord. We have your scriptures before us, and we want to learn, we want to obey. But oh, we acknowledge our desperate need of the ministry of the Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to understand, and oh, that you would grant us grace that we might obey, and that you, Lord Jesus, would be exalted amongst us. Come! Have dealings with us. We ask for your honor. Amen. You knew better. You knew better. So why, oh why, did you do it? You knew better. Now, such words or similar words have probably been spoken by many parents to one of their children who did something wrong. You knew better than to do that. You've been instructed in this house not to do such a thing as that. Why did you do it? Oh, children, children, children. They do the most foolish things, don't they? And they know better but they do it anyway. But is it only children who do things that they know they shouldn't? Well, probably not. I think there are thousands upon thousands of men and women in prisons across our nation, and they committed a crime. They knew better. They knew better when they planned it. They knew better while they were doing it. They knew better after it took place and they got caught. And, oh yes, they sit and they look out the bars and they say, well, I'm really innocent. But deep down in their hearts, they know. I knew better. But we don't have to necessarily stay in prison. It's possible. And I'll grant it's a very, very slight possibility that there might be one or two people sitting in this auditorium. Last week you said something. You did something. You knew better. You knew better. And that conscience really poked you. And so you went to the Lord, and you confessed, and he forgave. Part of that confession might have been, Lord, I really knew better. Well, this morning we're going to look in our scripture passage at some servant. 
the master had some servants. And one of the servants knew the will of the master. He did the will of the master and he was richly rewarded. But then there was another servant. And it appears maybe he started off okay. But then he got to thinking. You know, I'm not so sure the master really cares about whether this is done right or not. and I'll just keep on doing wrong. Well, the master came. The master examined him, and the master punished him. He knew better. But then there's another servant, and it appears that this servant had some some ignorance about him. But the servant did wrong, and he was still judged, and he was still punished. Because, you see, a sin of ignorance is still sin. And so we look at this, we look still in this 12th chapter, and this morning we'll pick it up at verse 41 and work down to verse 48. Verse 41. The Lord Jesus, in the preceding context, has given forth a parable. The parable of the importance of watching for his return. You never know when the Lord might come and take you to himself. And so you should be ready. And he's warning them to be ready. He's warning them to be diligent, you see, in their calling. Well, after he has spoken, we pick it up this way. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunken. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. Amen. And so here we have these servants. We have judgment. We have reward. It seems that the background to this particular parable has to do with the fact that whenever God bestows a gift or he bestows privilege, 
bestows opportunity. He expects that gift. He expects that opportunity to be properly used according to his will. In other words, great gifts require responsibility. Everybody wants to be elevated. And this particular parable we look at this morning is just commonly interpreted to have reference to those who are leaders in the church. Those who have a special office in the church and they have a special responsibility in the church. That's the common interpretation. In fact, R.C. Sproul reads this and he says, it terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. Because the one who has a position has great responsibility. Wow, everybody wants to be a teacher, get in front of people and have them look at you. <laughs> but James says, brethren, be not many teachers, for you know something? We're going to receive a very, very strict judgment. And so here we have this matter of a parable. You notice what brings forth this response from the Lord. Well, you look and it says, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? In other words, the Lord responds because Peter's asking him a question. Now, I've thought about that. What's behind Peter's question? Well, I've thought about it, but I'm not really satisfied. But it seems that Peter, listening to that previous parable, he was concerned because there was great reward, but also there were some very stern warnings. Well, does that apply to all these other disciples, or does that apply to me and the twelve? And so Peter's concerned here. Perhaps we might think of the young man sitting in class, and the teacher's been lecturing away, And the young man raises his hand and says, Teacher, is this going to be on the test? Well, the young man's thinking, if it's not on the test, I'll go back to sleep. If it's on the test, I better listen and take myself some notes, you see. So here is Peter. He's concerned about this. He asks this question. "Uh, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all the people? And the Lord said, who is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give him their portion of food in due season? And so you also notice that the Lord Jesus did not directly answer his question. He didn't do that. Well, he has kind of a rhetorical question. And you see, rhetorical questions are used to grab the little boy's ear. In other words, you use a rhetorical question to get somebody's attention. You want them to think about something. And so he uses this rhetorical question. He doesn't directly answer Peter's question, but he tells Peter exactly what he needs to know. And so what does Peter need to know? Well, the Lord says that, uh, I'm going to tell you about a character of a person that I'm going to make ruler over my household. And that Make ruler is a word that means to put to place. And that's where a lot of the thought comes that this has reference to church officers. Because like it said in Acts 20, take heed to yourself and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He has put you there. He has placed you there. And so here he's going to give us some instruction about those 
will be over his household. And so let's take generally from this statement here, this verse 42, that all believers are to be faithful and wise in their calling. All believers, all of us here, we are to be faithful and wise in living our lives for Christ. And so again, we listen to the words of our Lord. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? And so it starts off with this matter of faithful. He wants a a faithful man. He wants a, a faithful person. And so I ask you, would you honestly describe yourself as a faithful person? Would anybody else describe you as a faithful person? Well, what's a faithful person? Well, we could say, isn't a faithful person someone who uh, keeps his word? If he makes a promise, doesn't he keep the promise? Isn't it someone who uh, you can depend upon? Maybe you know somebody who say, well, that guy's got a few hang-ups, but you know what? You can depend upon him. You can depend upon him to always be there when he says. You can depend upon him to do what he says. And so would not a faithful person also be someone of a a commitment? They say they'll do something, and so they commit themselves. And so the Lord wants a a faithful person, someone who speaks the truth, someone who keeps his word, someone who is dependable. And you remember there's some Psalms that we sometimes used as a call to worship. And the kind of person that will give the Lord true worship is referred to as a uh, faithful person. For example, it brings it out this way, Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He speaks the truth. He does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. And it goes and says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This guy makes a promise. He didn't quite figure out all that was involved in keeping that promise. There was more involved than he thought. It's going to cost him a little bit, but he keeps his word. He's a faithful person. Or another psalm that we often use as a call to worship in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he is founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He uh, he hasn't told any lies. And if we think about faithful people, unless you're uh, living in some kind of a cave, boy, the society in which we live, is it not full of liars? Is it not full of unfaithful people? People don't keep their word. People say, oh yeah, I'll be there. They don't keep their commitment. 
And it's nothing new because you go to the book of Proverbs a thousand years ago or so, and Solomon made this statement. He said, every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful person who can find. Where do you find a faithful person? Any society, if it's going to be stable and endured, it needs that family. It needs that marriage. And I was reading the divorce rate. 35 to 50% the first time around. Second time it jumps to 60. Third time 70. After that, just forget it. But what's involved in these divorces? Well, one article said commitment. Commitment. Now, when a wedding takes place, and I guess they still have weddings, usually the minister will say something to the effect, ladies and gentlemen, we're assembled here in the presence of God and these witnesses to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. And then in the process, he'll turn to the young man and say, do you promise to forsake all others, to cling to this woman, to love, to provide, to cherish, to be with her sickness, health, no matter what happened? Oh, yes. And then he will turn to the woman, do you forsake all others and embrace this man to be your husband in holy wedlock? To honor him, to cherish him, to be with him. Sickness, health, death, whatever, till death do you part. Oh, yes! And then a few months, a year, they get divorced. They forgot something. What did that minister say when he introduced that wedding? We are here in the presence of God! Now, how much of that they understood, I don't know. But regardless, they were there in the presence of God and witnesses. And what was that young man doing? What was that young lady doing? They were making an oath. They were making a promise. Under that third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. They made a commitment. In the presence of God. So what kind of a person is going to be an overseer, an office bearer in the household of faith? And the local church is referred to at times as a house. As Paul told Timothy, that you might know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, pillar and ground of the truth, The church is likened to a house, a family. And so here, who's going to be a ruler, a faithful man? But not only that, there's something else here. This matter of being faithful. You look at that letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. Saints? And faithful. But again, we look at the text, it says, why? With those who are belong to Christ, all of us as disciples, we are, we are to be wise. Well, we heard earlier today the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who truly fear the Lord, they, they're very wise. But again, this matter of wisdom 
it's usually thought of as being able to use knowledge in the best way for the best ends. In other words, you can have a head full of knowledge, facts, facts, facts. How do you use them? You see, the Lord wants a wise man who will use those facts correctly. And when you look at Acts 6 and consider those early deacons, what was one of the requirements? Full of the Holy Spirit and wise. Those early deacons, they had to be wise. Well, you see, they were using, overseeing the church's funds. And in that particular setting, you had some widows who were bickering with one another. You had the Greeks, and then you had the Hebrew widows, and they were kind of clashing about who gets this and who gets that. And so you see, the deacon has to be wise as he distributes things. Otherwise, there's this big uproar, and you have somebody say, Racism! Racism! Those Jews are getting favors. And so a ruler has to be wise. He has to know how to use things in a proper way. But he goes on, he says something else. Who is that faithful and wise steward? Now, I think one translation has it manager. Well, a steward is indeed a manager. He manages the household. In other words, there is this master, he has a household, and he's going to have a, have a steward. Now, the steward is a slave. But the master thinks, well, he's, he's a pretty good slave. He's got some things going for him. So I'm going to put him over the other slaves, and he's going to have access to my wealth and whatever I have in order to run this household. Now, of course, a very well-known example, maybe you thought of it. You remember Joseph? Joseph got sold into slavery, winds up at Potiphar's house. And Potiphar immediately knows this, says, this young man's got talent. And so he winds up putting him over all his household. Potiphar did, didn't know what was going on. He put it all into Joseph's hands. And so his silly wife thought, well, that includes me. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. But a steward is someone who manages something. He oversees something. But this faithful, wise steward, he has some work to do. He has work to do. You notice? Make him ruler or put him over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. He has a responsibility. He has work to do. He is to do certain things at a certain time, and he is to be consistent in them. For you notice, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And so the master's evidently gone away. If we look at the previous parable, it had to do with going to a wedding, and sometimes that could last for weeks. And so the master's gone away, but he's going to come back. And there's other parables, and it speaks about the master is gone for a long time. And you see, the Lord uses time to test his servants. Do they really believe him? Do they really trust him? 
I mean, Noah, there's a flood coming. But years and years pass by before the flood. He calls Abraham, you're going to have a son. Years and years and years pass. And they're waiting for the Messiah. Years and years and years pass. But the true saint is faithful. He continues to believe. And he continues to obey. And so, blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing, present tense. He continues to do the work that the Lord has called him to do. He does it in a faithful, wise way. He will be greatly rewarded, or he gets, in our language, he really gets the big promotion. So we might ask ourselves, what shows or proves that a person really is faithful and wise? Well, I've already indicated time, 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 trials, difficulties. That's the test of whether a man is faithful. And so here, all of us, all of us, you know, should be faithful and wise. And all who are faithful and wise are going to be truly rewarded, according to verse 44. Now, I like to watch track events on TV. Used to be a participant. Now, obviously, I'm simply a spectator. But I learned something long ago, and I know something now. The first man out of the blocks, doesn't always win the race. The first man out of the blocks looks like he's got it. No, he doesn't win the race. And I think it was last month I was watching a track meet. I think there were about four or five colleges involved. And the last race is usually the big long distance race. And so I was watching, and I don't know how many runners they had, but one of them, man, he stepped out. And he was leading, the pack was kind of bunched up, and he was way ahead. And I watched, and I watched, and I thought, well, this is a pretty much a no-brainer. He's got it. So then I kept watching, and he began to fade. I could tell he had lost that real kick he had. And lo and behold, he got passed up, and he came in pretty close the last man. You see, not always those who start off so great and those who make such noise really win the race. And our Lord teaches us that, doesn't he? We're all familiar with the the parable of the sower and the seed is sown and you've got some of that rocky soil and all of a sudden because of the moisture on the rock, it shoots up. But then there's the sun. And there's the wind. And there's no real root system. And it folds up. And the Lord is applying that. You know, there are those who make this glorious profession of faith. Oh, they tell you about how rotten they used to be, but now they're so saintly, but they don't last. And then you have that in the thorny ground. They get choked out. They get caught up with the things of the world. They appear to maybe have some kind of fruit on them, but it's, you really wonder, is that, is that real Christian fruit? And then, of course, you have those who produce. 
And so here, there are those who start off so well. Notice verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and be drunk. Oh, evidently we'll assume he started off pretty well, that servant. Now, you and I, we face temptations all the time. You know, they come through the eye gate, they come through the ear, they come by touch or feel. But if we really stop and ponder, where does that temptation start? In the heart? In the heart. And so here is this servant, he he begins to uh, say in his heart, he keeps saying in his heart, you know, uh, my master's delaying. It's been so long. And you know, this is pretty hard work that I'm involved in. And he begins to think and say, well, maybe I'll slack off a little. And so, you know, he slacks off, he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and nothing happens. No, no judgment falls upon him. And so that happens with believers. They begin to slack off. Nothing happens. So, you know, the master, he probably really doesn't care that much. And you know, when you read through the Bible, you have a man like Demas. And you can read in a couple of epistles how he traveled with the Apostle Paul, was there, prayed with Paul. Maybe he did some speaking with Paul, but he traveled. And then in that last letter of Paul, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. How might that have started? Well, it could have been in the heart. I mean, traveling along with the Apostle Paul was not an easy thing to do. You did not go first class. And add to that, there was uh, opposition. Your fellow Jews hated you. You might have to run out of town and stones were being thrown at you. And a lot of times, maybe is he would go with Paul to a meeting, a synagogue. He'd look around. He'd see other people. They're having fun. They got their boat. They're going to the lake. I haven't been to the lake for years, he says. And so little by little, the world gets a hook in him. Demas has forsaken me. No indication he ever came back. And there's probably a few people here, you hear this, and and you know what it is to go into the far country, don't you? You've gone to the far country. But yet here you said, how is it? Oh, well, I just came back. No, you didn't. You didn't just come back. The good shepherd went after you, and he brought you back. He sent forth His Spirit to work in your hearts. In His providence, He made things pretty miserable. A word seemed to bother you. 
Then again in his providence, he sent somebody, one of his disciples, to say something. That's how you came back. Like the prodigal, you said, Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. The Lord brings back his people. The point is, you beware. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Be careful what you toy with in your heart. All too often it comes to expression and words and deeds. Keep your heart. Be careful while you ponder. Be faithful to your Lord. Here's a man. He troubled in his heart. He forsook his responsibilities. Verse 46, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. Now that sounds pretty crass, cutting up with a sword and all this. Probably figurative language for this man is going to experience some very severe punishment. Very severe punishment. He's going to point his portion with the unbelievers. But then again, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. The more light, the more knowledge, the more opportunity, the greater the responsibility. And so we all want to be these astute theologues. That brings responsibility. That calls for obedience. But then he goes on with reference to this matter. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. And that maybe kind of bothers us. I mean, here's a guy ignorant, but he still did wrong. Yes, there's sins committed out of ignorance and You can go and you can look at Leviticus chapter 4 and look at some passages in the book of Numbers. And there was a sacrifice that was to be made for sins committed in ignorance, or some translations have it unintentionally. And so if a man did something out of ignorance and it comes to his mind, he was to go to the priest. There was a sacrifice. There was a confession. There was forgiveness, you see. And I would suggest that there's a number of us here, as we uh, mature in age, we reflect back. And there's a prayer that David offered that many of us offer quite often. O Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. And so here is this man. He sinned. There will be few beatings. And so it shows us there's kind of a a scale with reference to those who go into eternal punishment. Some more severe than others. And I assume as a parent, if you ever use the board on the fanny of your kid, some things he did, eh, he really got the swat. Things eh, weren't too bad, but he needs to get a swat. And so you see this variation. 
And so there's variations with reference to this matter of punishment here. And then it says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much is required. To whom much has been committed, of him they will ask for more. And so the more light we get, the more responsibility. And you remember the Lord Jesus Christ, he sent his disciples out to preach. And he says, if you come to a village and they won't hear you, then that village, shake the dust off your feet. And then again, when he himself ministered, with reference to Capernaum and other cities, he says, you know, the light you've received, you're going to be cast down to hell. But you got Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't get near the light you got. They're going to hell. But they won't receive the punishment you'll receive because you had great light. So we all want light. But that light calls for responsibility. And so we sit here as a congregation and God has greatly greatly blessed us with a great deal of light, a great deal of his truth. But along with that truth comes responsibility. We are to walk in the light. He is in the light. And we all have to confess we have just not been as faithful as we should be. But we do know one who is absolutely faithful, don't we? And that faithful one has given us a, a faithful promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Our Lord God Almighty, your word has brought encouragement to us, but at the same time, your word has troubled our hearts, and we have thought about good intentions. Please, by your grace, those intentions that are in line with your word, help us to carry them out and bring about the needed changes that will make us to be a better servant. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.